how scared should people be going outside with this kind of thing? It really depends where you go, but honestly, some of the worst, the mo- some of the most dangerous bolts are going to be really hard to spot. Hey everyone, from Blister, this is All Things Climbing. I'm Dave Alley. This week we're talking to Greg Barnes, the director of the American Safe Climbing Association. The ASCA is a small organization that provides a critical service to the climbing community by providing high quality, modern fixed hardware to local climbing coalitions and route developers around the country to make sure that the climbs we encounter outdoors are as safe as possible. To some extent, rusted out hardware is a feature of climbing outdoors that we should all be aware of, but by replacing many thousands of old, worn out, and downright dangerous bolts and anchors around the country, Greg and the ASCA have spent considerable time, money, and effort to reduce this risk for all of us. If you don't already, I strongly encourage you to make a donation to the ASCA for this reason. If you're not putting in routes yourself or replacing old hardware in your free time, this is one of the most effective ways to give back to the community of people who make climbing happen for all of us. In today's episode, we talk about how the ASCA operates and decides what needs replacing and by whom, some considerations about how exactly bolts function and how they fail, and what every climber should know about bolts before they go outside. Take a listen. So do you mind just introducing yourself um, and then, you know, you can tell me a few words about the organization. Yeah, I'm Greg Barnes. I'm a director of the American Safe Climbing Association, and we've been around since 1998. And we're out replacing old rusty bolts and anchors out on cliffs all around the country. And I think, uh, think uh, you know, a lot of people these days don't really realize the very basics of climbing outside in that. All these climbing bolts are not installed by the government. They're not regulated. They're not inspected. They're, you know, they're not to be taken for granted. Like if you go to a climbing gym, there's a bunch of bolts hanging on the wall. They look the same often as the ones outside, but those are inspected regularly. There's no rock fall in climbing gyms. You could have a perfectly good bolt there one day and there could be a rock that fell overnight and chop it off or break it in half overnight. And um, so at a very basic level, any fixed hardware, any bolt that you find outside, you have to not really trust it. (laughs) You have to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, there's, you know, I was recently thinking about another example of the way that those can be compromised. And you may not know is that the the giant fire that went on down by Thunder Ridge uh, in the South Platte and it seems like there was a whole panel of slab routes, like fully bolted routes that you know, maybe the metal's not destroyed by the fire, but the rock itself seemed to be kind of compromised, you know, making the bolt potentially extremely weak, but you may never know. Exactly. And there's, there's a, a, a lot of things that can happen. And honestly, there are people out there who bring a wrench to the crag or even non-climbers who can just hike to the top of the crag and vandalize a bolt. They can try to pull it out, but they don't know what they're doing. They can really damage it and weaken it. And, you know, the bolt could be ready to break and nobody would ever know it from looking at it. Is that the kind of thing that you see or you hear about semi-regularly going on around the country, either vandalism or, or climbers maybe inadequately or improperly installing or adjusting hardware? Um, it's not that common. There are some places in the country where people even shoot at bolts. <laughs> and uh, Utah? Uh, well, it's actually happened in Colorado in, in a Clear Creek Canyon right outside of Golden. Oh, damn. Yeah. Somebody shot at a bunch of bolts. I think it was actually on Cat's Lab years, a few years ago. Huh. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, bolts are, again, they're just, you can't trust that they're going to be perfect. 
that you can't trust that they're going to be good. That's why pretty much every anchor you see outside has two bolts. Back in the 1950s and even all the way through the 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of a lot of routes, even multi-pitch routes, where the anchor was a single bolt. And these days, nobody trusts that, and that's for, and for good reason because there have been bolts that have broken. And um, as far as what you actually see outside, it's more common to see a bolt loosening up from repeated falls, like the nut starts unscrewing or the bolt core starts unscrewing. And most of those can be fixed just by finger tightening the bolt, the nut, if, or by taking a wrench and tightening it lightly, not heavily, because some of these bolts can be snapped by strong climbers, even with a short wrench. And part of the idea of being able to snap the end is that you over-torque the, the bolt and mm -hmm. you strain the metal. Is that right? Yes. That's the most common way that people mess up a, like a, somebody putting up a root, that's the most common way that they, they mess up a bolt is by over-tightening it. And um, it's pretty common to snap bolts, especially if you're strong. And uh, Randy Levitt is one of the most prolific climbers and, and new routers um, for many years. He snapped a bunch of different 3 8 inch five pieces because he's just so strong. He's like 5'14 climber. And he snapped a bunch of them and he just ended up deciding he's never going to use any 3 8 anymore and he just used half inchers. So uh, it's totally possible to over torque a bolt and snap it. Yeah, I've heard that that's a really easy thing to do, especially if you have like a long lever arm that you're using, like a yeah. you know full size wrench, that kind of thing. Yeah, but even a short wrench, if you're just a strong climber, you know, if you're really strong. Yeah, <laughs> does it come out super easy? Um, no, it's just typically as you're tightening, it suddenly snaps. Okay. So usually, if it happens, the person who's putting it in is aware that it snapped, and they pull it out, and then they drill a new bolt. Gotcha. Like, how did this become to be the issue that you sort of really grabbed? grabbed onto? Um, well, I was at that point pretty much a climbing bum and I was out climbing and I was out just replacing bolts on routes that I knew needed it. And then, um, I don't know how it, you know, I just decided like if I couldn't find a partner for the day, I might as well go out and replace some bolts. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And, um, then it started getting people, Hey, you got to come out with me and go replace this route. And then, so I started getting dragged out by other people and we were just replacing. And at that point, like even all the classics in Yosemite Valley, most of them were just really bad bolts for like really dangerous. So, yeah. Um, um, can we go downstairs and, and take a look at some of the hardware? Mm -hmm. We are right now in the ASCA's headquarters warehouse. I mean, is it, am I allowed to use those words here? Uh, how about my garage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So I, I guess uh, just to orient people who can't see this right now, your garage it has been heavily adapted to accommodate the ASCA here. It looks like you've got an incredible amount of storage for um, exactly how much hardware would you estimate you've got here in terms of bolts and hangers and rings? Uh, you mean in pounds or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we probably have, uh, well, actual bolts because I stocked up on the three eighths inch five pieces when we thought that they were going to go out of production we probably have around 7,000 bolts total right now, plus glue-ins, which would put it more like 7,500 bolts. Well, we um, um, And you guys have like a proper anvil here. What do you, do oh, you guys, I just uh... use that for stamping hangers, which I do occasionally. Okay, so, nice. Put a yeah. little ASCA logo on there. 
for uh, people who I've done, I guess I've done a little bit of rebolting and, and initial bolting myself, but but not a ton, um, and never any glue ins. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this might be, you know, going into an important distinction that that maybe people have either not encountered ever or maybe not really carefully considered. But will you just kind of outline what the difference is between like a maybe your standard non glue in like the raw five pieces versus mm -hmm. a glue in bolt? Yeah, well. Um most bolts we use are are mechanical bolts. So they're expansion bolts. You pound them in and you tighten them down and they expand and they hold in the rock. The split shaft bolts, the old quarter inchers and the five sixteenths and the three eighths inch split shafts, the bolt is kind of has a bend in it where the, the shaft is split. And as you pound it in, it gets compressed. But the problem is the metal is very hard and, and that's occasionally they have developed a small crack and then over time the crack propagates and then sometimes these bolts look great and they're only held on by a little tiny bit but then so but most of the bolts you see out there that are mechanical are expansion bolts you pound them in and you tighten something down you tighten it down and a cone expands or a, a sleeve expands against the cone and it, of the bolt. and it all and essentially all that does is that diff, different ways of having the bolt or the sleeve press outward against the walls of the hole yeah. to gen hold it in place is that right exactly all right so with glue-ins is what you're doing is you're basically putting a piece of metal in the rock and holding it in with some sort of, of adhesive. Actually, one of the best ones to use is concrete, but concrete can take up to a month to cure. So nobody uses it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if like you, you, if you really wanted a really good bolt and you wanted to mix some concrete and sit around for a month or two, you could actually use a glue-in with concrete. So what people actually what people use is various different adhesives that are designed for for construction, and um, they're often epoxy based or they're vinyl ester or they're acrylic or they're some combination. A lot of them are, are, are hybrid, and they don't even tell you exactly what's in it unless you do some serious research. Yeah. Um, but you look at them; they're designed for construction, and there's lots of different there's lots of different information out there as far as as loads that they will hold and tension and in shear. And um, of course, most uh, most climbing bolts, it's more important in, to have strong uh, loading and shear, which is along the rock. If you're talking about right. a, you know, the only time that climbers load bolts in full tension is so like in a roof, is like a horizontal roof where you fall straight down on it. Right. Okay. So the shear loading would be uh, perpendicular to the long axis of the bolt. Exactly. And most of these bolts, I mean, so when you're looking at the 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 the, the strength, you need to look at something. You look at the bolt, you look at the adhesive, you look at the you know the final cured strength. But again, this is all, it's all designed for concrete and it's in concrete of different compressive strength. And outside in rock, you know, generally the rock is often better than any concrete, but there could be fractures, there could be pockets in the rock and, um, or people could just place the bolt too close to an edge, you know, you know, like, and um, so a glue-in bolt has some major advantages over mechanical bolts. The first is is in limestone and other rock where you can actually get water eroding rock from around the bolt. This is one of the reasons why glue-ins are the standard in Europe because most of the climbing there is in limestone and it's generally pretty wet. So you can place the best mechanical bolt out there, but if you, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the line, limestone slowly eroding away from the bolt, it's not... 
you know, the bolt's going right. to loosen up no matter what you do. The hole's just getting bigger and the bolt's going to fall out. Or it'll loosen up and freak people out and eventually can fall out. So the advantage of gluons, of course, is that they bond to the rock and it's often stronger than the rock and the soft rock. And um, the bolt is held in there and there's no, there's no, um, there's no erosion around the bolt. So um, did the bolts, is that true? I guess, is that advantage only hold in softer stone or is that something that's like common for um, gluons and granite as well? It pretty much just softer stone. Okay. But um, I mean, in granite, a gluon should be protected from, from any water getting into the hole. But, you know, um, the glue, it's important for people to know the, the adhesives, the glues, they bond to the rock. They do not bond to steel. So the, they're held, the bolts are held in by the mechanical shape of the bolt. If you were to glue a straight rod into, into the wall, once it was completely cured, you could just pull it out or you could, you'd have to probably break free a bit, but uh, yeah. So that's why the glue and bolts have that like candy cane braid. Yeah. They have divots, they have braids. They have a lot of the newer ones are actually designed so that you have to pound them in a bit and they're held in by tension as the glue is setting. That's like the wave bolts or the twisted leg bolts. Huh. Um, what about the the common argument that gluons last way longer than mechanical expansion bolts? It's hard to say because we're talking about time periods that are longer than anybody's had around. Yeah. So the gluon bolts in Europe, they test them after you know decades and they're still just as strong as originally, which wouldn't be the case with, with uh, mechanical bolts in limestone. As far as bolts, like in most of the Western US, we're talking about it's a pretty dry climate. We have these quarter inch bolts that are 40 years old that are still holding and they're not all that rested when you pull them out. So when you're talking about a stainless steel half inch bolt versus a stainless steel glue in they're in all honesty, they're probably going to last for a couple hundred years each. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? That's insane. Yeah. I mean, we consider these little putts, pathetic quarter inch bolts are still holding after 40 years. It's, you know, these stainless half inch bolts, as long as they're, you know, they don't loosen up or somehow the epoxy or the, uh, you know, the adhesive somehow degrades over time, which doesn't seem like it's possible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem likely. It may not even be possible depending on the adhesive. Um, honestly, these bolts are going to be here for a very, very long time. Yeah. So, um, something that you reminded me of a second ago, talking about how the appropriate bolt solution is maybe situation and, and geology dependent amongst other factors. Um, a friend of mine and I were just recently out in Zion to do uh, prodigal sun, which is sort of on the, I guess the Northeast side of angels landing. And a bunch of the pin ladders are instead of bolts, there are a handful of bolts on the route, but most of them are just drilled angles. Mm -hmm. And so essentially it's like, you know, if, I guess if, uh, if, if there's anybody listening who's never encountered that kind of stuff, that's like a hole drilled in the rock with just like a normal aid climbing angle pounded in. And I have heard in asking why those are so prevalent out there that that solution is actually more durable than putting in a lot of bolts out there. Is that, does that have any truth to it? Yes, it does actually. And in, in really soft sandstone, it's, I mean, a lot of the American West's, the the sandstone can get insanely soft. If you look at like ship rock, you know, it's not legal to climb, but the people who who do occasionally climb it with permit. That's in New Mexico? Yeah. The bolts are like sticking out like an inch and it's not because they've come out. It's because the rock has eroded an inch away in the last 50 years. And so a lot of these rocks are super soft. So any mechanical bolt, when it's loaded, it's going to slowly weaken, 
weaken the rock and starts loosening up. So these drilled angles with people who really know what they're doing, they drilled the often they drill a certain diameter hole and then they drill a larger diameter hole for the top. And they sometimes have little notches on their custom drilled angled pitons. And when they're placed really well, they're super hard to remove. And the problem of course, is that they're not stainless and they rust eventually. But, um, out in the desert, you know, in Zion and stuff like that, sometimes those drilled angles are substantially better than any of the old mechanical bolts they used to use. So why does that, why do those not suffer from the same problem as the mechanical bolts with the stone, I guess, eroding around them? Like, why would they not loosen up in the same way that the, the bolt would? Well, they can, and they do. It's just that because, uh, because of the shape of the hole and how they're pounded in, and maybe, you know, you'd have to look at, you know, get a mechanical engineer to look at the tension of the actual because uh, the angles are at an angle and the, you know, you'd have to examine the particular design of, of people's drilled angles versus the particular bolts and how they're loaded and everything. But, you know, when you run into them, you know, just practically speaking, a really well done drilled angle can be stronger than, than the mechanical bolt, or at least the older mechanical bolts. You know, on the ASC a website, there's that Really awesome story of how Chris Mack put on a bolting clinic and you were the only person to show up, you know, slated seemingly to become the director of the AASCA from that day. So I was hoping you could actually just flesh that story out for us. Yeah, well, that's kind of funny because I had placed a few bolts before that, done some new routes, and I'd just been climbing in Yosemite Valley and running into all these super sketchy anchors that you had to repel off of. And I don't even know where I heard about that clinic. I think it might have just been on the Camp 4 board or something. And I went over and it was just me and Chris and he uh, brought me out to uh, El Cap and he had to actually show me how to Jumar because I'd never Jumar before. <laughs> and his friends had, were working on a new route, which would later become Nightmare in California Street. So they had two pitches fixed and their super long pitches reached up to the fourth, uh, fourth or fifth pitch of North America wall. So we jugged their fixed lines from their incomplete El Cap route and replaced a few bolts up on a North America wall, a few quarter inches. And um, it was really, it was fairly straightforward because I knew how to bolt at that point already. I was self-taught. So just removing the old bolt and redrilling the hole didn't require all that much. And you didn't know Chris before this? No, I never met him. And you guys ended up just kind of hitting it off based on your, you know, shared, I guess, urgency behind the need to replace this fixed hardware? Um, Actually, I just, he offered to get me some bolts to go replace bolts and I just kept replacing a lot more bolts and he was expecting and he kept getting me more boxes. And so we'd end up having, you know, he'd ship me boxes or I'd go pick up boxes and he was just kind of amazed at how many different routes I was out replacing. Like, can you expand on that to give me an outline of what the general philosophy is for the ASCA? You know, how do you um, decide how you're going to distribute your resources around the country? Well, most of the bolts we send out are to local organizations or, you know, climbing guides, guide schools, that kind of thing. Um, So, you know, there's still places where, you know, a few individuals are the ones doing most of the work, but, uh, I would say these days more and more it's local climbing groups doing it. And, um, usually they can't afford good stainless steel hardware. And so we send them the bolts out for free and that's how, you know, that's what the ACA is here for. What do you think are some of the crags and areas around the country that are in greatest need of this kind of like hardware attention? Um, honestly, it's places with quarter inch bolts, which are getting, you know, less and less common to find five sixteenths button heads and three eighths inch split shafts. And because we now know the five sixteenths button heads 
will snap. You know, that's what the fatality in Owens River Gorge is. There's a lot of areas in the country with five sixteenths inch button heads. And personally, like most rebolters, I always thought they were bomber and they're almost impossible to remove. And everybody just left them thinking they were bomber. And so places with those need to be addressed first. And, um, and there are places where the, the, the new, you know, the people doing the roots used a lot of the three eighths inch split set split shafts, but you have to, you almost have to know which developers use those or ask around if you can, because there's really no way to tell from above if it's a three eighths inch split shaft, which might snap, or if it's a three eighths inch stud bolt, which is generally pretty good. So do you guys, when you send hardware to some of these local organizations or individuals, do you have a, you know, does that come with your opinion or instructions on where that hardware should be used? Or are you just kind of, um, do, do you give them sort of, you know, jurisdictional control over what they feel like needs the most, you know, I, mean, I guess, attention? Yeah, generally that's, you know, most people, you know, most climbers in each area are kind of on the same, the same page as far as what needs most work. Usually it's like the really heavily trafficked anchors or trafficked routes or, particular routes with really old bad bolts. Um, and yeah, I'd say that for, for most areas, that's not really an issue. And, you know, generally speaking, ASA, you know, bolts are one for one replacement, you know, no adding bolts, no adding anchors, that kind of thing. These days there are probably, there's getting to be more cases where land managers will actually request that climbers add bolts to the top of cliffs to reduce wear on trees. And in some places they even require that. So how do you guys handle um, oversight of the bolting process that's undertaken by some of these local organizations? You know, we were talking earlier about how easy it is to over-tighten a bolt and strain the, you know, strain the head and potentially destroy the bolt. And I wonder, do you guys have to make sure that these get installed by people who know how to do it right? We do our best, but this, is, this gets back to the whole thing about not trusting outside bolts to begin with. There's no, there are no professionals. You know, even, you know, I've installed more than probably about 3,000 bolts personally. And I just consider myself a, you know, a very qualified amateur. There are no professionals there. You know, if you look at the, the, like the rigging or the outside, you know, the construction industries, what we use for climbing is not, is not strong enough. They would not trust even like a standard carabiner because they generally need everything to be at least four times to five times breaking strength. And so climbing outside, you know, it's, it's done by, you know, all the bolts are installed by people without this, without any sort of official qualifications. And we do our best to make sure people know what they're doing, but even people who've been putting in bolts for 20 years, who's, you know, wrote the guidebook, some of them can still make mistakes, you know, everybody can make mistakes. So, so I, I'm super interested in that because I think that it, um, it fits into a, a larger climbing culture trend of oral tradition. You know, in a lot of ways, up until maybe fairly recently, you could argue when the, the indoor climbing and the gym to crag sort of movement has really become a thing. But, you know, for the longest time, and, you know, even to a large extent now, there's this this practice where most people get into climbing through their friends, right? And they're, they're gradually taken through these these increasingly complex steps of things like tying in and then belaying and then maybe leading and then setting up a top rope and then maybe cleaning an anchor and so forth and you know down this line of 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 responsibility and stuff but it always fascinates me considering the lack of 
um, of like centralized top-down management in that situation and how you just have this essentially what is this like decades-long telephone game of people telling each other how to rock climb, right? It just kind of blows my mind sometimes that more people don't get hurt than than do. And to be fair, I think the number of people who do get hurt is, is too high and we can do better. But I think it's also possible to look at it from this other angle where you're like, wow, considering nobody went to school for this, like we're doing remarkably well if you want to take that tack. Yeah. Um, these days, again, I think the biggest red flag is just people coming from gyms who assume every bolt is good. And like, that's not necessarily the case. On the other hand, these tiny little quarter inch rusty bolts have been there for 40 years and are often still holding falls. So a lot of it is just, you know, a lot of the, the climbing bolts we use, unless they're totally screwed up or hit by rocks, most of them are pretty good. And, you know, if generally speaking, if one bolt breaks, most of the time people don't get really hurt unless it's the first bolt off you know, like a steep sport route. And so, yeah, I don't, I'd say that climbers get lucky a lot of the time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that's definitely true. And, you know, I guess in, in that same vein, you know, when you hear about, um, serious injury or fatalities or that's those types of accidents and climbing, it's much more frequently, the result of like pilot error than it is um, a hardware failure. Yeah. Although that does certainly does happen, like you say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we seem to be the weakest link in the chain yeah. most of the time. Yeah, and that's why um, you know honestly, a lot of people don't like lower off anchors. But I'm really a huge fan of lower off anchors because most of the time when we have a you know a, a two bolt anchor at half a rope length, that bolted anchor is a convenience anchor to begin with because we probably could have climbed off to the top of the cliff, anchored into a tree, and walked off. And so having big, huge hooks that we just flip the rope through when we're done, it's just so much easier because a lot of the fatalities around the country happen when people are cleaning a route. And, you know, sometimes it's miscommunication. They say, they get up to the anchor, they say off belay, they thread the rope all the way through, retie in, and then lean back forgetting that they told their partner they're off belay. And um, so when people do that, if they can just, you know, if they get into the habit of never saying off belay, just getting the anchor and doing it at all and then saying take and make sure that their partner has got them that'll but um that'll produce prevent accidents but um so i say those lower off hooks are really convenient and nice to to uh reduce errors at the anchors there are a lot of people out there who make the case that you you know by that's a very slippery slope argument that you and I are sort of subscribing to, right? And it sort of runs against the um, self-reliance and self-sufficiency and like total embrace of um, responsibility that is really core to climbing. And those people would argue, I think, crucial as a pillar to teach young climbers or beginning climbers if they're going to go out into the world and then, you know, have the sort of like critical eye that they need to stay alive, right? Yeah, so you're basically arguing that you need to teach people how to deal with wrap anchors. And, you know, that's, it's a valid argument. However, the higher the traffic areas, you know, it, 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 you know, the same exact argument against hooks could be used as, against having the anchor there to begin with. Because you do a sport route, like in Boulder Canyon or something like nine times out of 10, you can walk, you can continue climbing past the anchor, go to the top and set a trad anchor or, or clip a tree and walk off. So why is that, <laughs> why is that anchor there to begin with? You know, if you're worried about convenience and self-reliance, maybe there shouldn't be bolted anchors. Yeah. So it's a you know, slippery slope. And also just for, you know, a lot of those harder climbers, 
they want to go out and climb with their friends. And if one person leads 5'9", the other one leads 5'12", the 5'9 leader can go up, clip the anchor, lower off, clean their own draws. The 5'12 climber can do the exact same thing, and bam, you're done really fast. And it's just very quick and convenient. And, you know, you, you don't, you, you remove that really dangerous time of clipping the anchor, rethreading, lowering off. I mean, or wrapping off. You know, people do that endlessly, but every year somewhere between five and 10 people nationwide die doing that. I think you're, I think you're really right. But I'm really glad we're talking about this because it kind of, you know, segues nicely into a question that I was really excited to ask you. And that is, um, repelling versus lowering off of anchors at the top of a route, let's say either a sport route or maybe like a trad cragging as you might find in, in Eldo or Boulder Canyon or like Indian Creek. There's a real, um, it seems to me, and maybe my perception of this is is just skewed, but I, I feel as though in the last few years, there's been this increased confusion around what is the accepted protocol to do when you get to an anchor? Like, how do you clean the route? Do you just lower off through the hardware? Let's say it's not these like big stainless steel hooks, right? You've got just your wrap rings. Mm-hmm. Um, top roping through your own gear, get to the end of the session. Does the last person wrap or lower off? There are a lot of people who feel like you should just lower off and when the hardware needs replacing it, we'll replace it. And then there are people who argue that you should repel whenever possible, you know, barring the route being super overhanging or what have you. Um, but that's just, you know, I guess a common courtesy to the people who do the route setting. Where do you land on that? I would say it just personally, it depends on the crag and the soil at the crag, basically. You go to a place like Indian Creek or Owens, where you have a lot of like sandy soil, dusty soil. And any lowering off in that kind of circumstance really wears down wrap rings. Why is that? Because uh, basically dust gets on the rope and the rope acts like a giant piece of, you know, giant rat tail file or a giant piece of sandpaper. And it also depends on, you know, the, the rings, you know, are you at an, a crag that doesn't get very much traffic? The rings look brand new. It doesn't seem like they've gotten anywhere. And then, you know, lowering off is no big deal at uh, these crags that get a lot of traffic or the rings are looking worn at all, then you definitely want to wrap. And of course, anything where, you know, where it's really near the end of the rope, you got to be very careful and um, tie knots or what I tend to do when I'm wrapping near the end of the rope is I tie the two rope ends together. Even if you get twists in the rope, it's just better because you have control over both ends. What is your, what's your vision or your hope for the ASCA uh, in the future, I guess, maybe like the next five years or 10 years and stuff as climbing grows? It's really hard to say because as climbing gets more mainstream, land managers start regulating it more. At some point, depending on their lawyers and stuff, they might decide they're going to actually reg- manage the bolts. If that happens, then it's you know it, it's up to the local jurisdiction. Um, in fact, City of Rocks with Brad Schilling, the chief ranger there, um, the the climbing ranger was was out replacing the bolts with his team. And um, that only worked because, you know, it, it's Idaho State Parks combination with National Park Service, but it's basically Idaho State Parks and yeah. they're pretty cool about it. Yeah. Um, other places, it you know, the local groups are doing a really good job of raising money and like Rumney, we think we helped them a little bit in the late 90s, but they, you know, it's a big local organization and they just buy all their own boats, do everything and they don't need us. So, you know, as the local climbing groups get more, you know, get more mainstream, I would say, you know, like bigger. Um, and s- 
in some areas they will take over and we, you know, they don't, you know, we aren't needed in those areas. So it's, it's hard to predict. On the other hand, we're seeing more of the three eighths inch original sort of early sport climbing era, like 1988 to 1992 or so. We're seeing more of those rust out and need replacement. And there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of bolts from that era. So at the same time that more local groups are getting bigger and don't really need our help, there's getting to be more areas that have 10,000 bolts that need to be replaced at them. And we can't afford that, you know? So it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of fluid and, you know, the access fund might be getting more into it or maybe not depending on the legal, you know, the legal implications there, American Alpine club, who knows, you know, so it's, it's really hard to predict, you know, I could see everything from the ASA is going to need to have, you know, 20,000 bolts per year to go out to help replace people or it could go all the way to, well, the ASA is not really needed anymore because, uh, AAC and the access fund and the local groups have kind of taken over. So it's, I I can't really predict it. Huh. That's really interesting. Cool. Um, I think, I think that's all, all I have for you. So, um, Greg Barnes, director of the ASCA. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Now that you know what an important function the ASCA serves, we hope that you consider making a donation. We'll be back next week. (laughs) 